Hi, and welcome to the podcast, Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hi, Mike. Hey, good morning. Morning. Our goal here is to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations that will help you scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Today our topic is finders, keepers, losers, weepers, or can we talk about an alternate ending? Say you're walking along the street or in an airport or a store or a parking lot and you find a wallet. Let's say it's fully loaded with identification, credit cards, and money. What do you do with it? Mike, what do you do? I think you give the wallet back. How many of us have never lost a wallet before? And how many of us don't realize, you know, not only is it the right thing to do, but it creates such a hassle for the person who lost the wallet. I I would like to think that, you know, we all have that sense that it's, uh, especially when it's this personal, because you can, I think, in very short order, figure out how to contact that person that has lost the wallet and, you know, in real time, get back to them and say, hey, I just found this. You're you're probably missing it or you can't get on your next airplane or whatever. My sense, I think everyone would at least say they agree with me, is you give it back right away. You go out of your way to get it to that person in a timely manner. It's much easier for people to be that honest when there's that personal connection. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. If the person is identifiable, if you can tell who they are from whatever is lost, the wallet, the purse, then you absolutely have a legal obligation to get the wallet and everything that's in it back to them. I'll talk about it from a legal perspective briefly. You know, there's common law, which is derived from English law, and It's something still part of our legal system today, and it relies upon custom and judicial precedent rather than statutes. So it's sort of a body of legal rules that have been made over time as judges issue rulings on cases as opposed to rules and laws made by the legislature or in official statutes. So at common law, it's kind of interesting, lost property that was either unintentionally or involuntarily left by its true owner was, whether it was in a public area or even on private property, belonged to the person who found it. In other words, they could keep it until and unless the original owner came forward. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, maybe at common law, people didn't have licenses and these (laughs) types of IDs that we all carry around. But today, in modern society, we have statutes um, in in most jurisdictions that dictate um, how lost property is treated. And generally, if the property's owner is identifiable, you must get the property back to them. You know, you can either do that on your own or you can contact the local authorities. That's really what you need to do under the law. Otherwise, it really would be larceny. It's no different than larceny, which is when you take somebody's property, either physically or fraudulently, it has some value. You know, you're taking it without their consent, and you're taking it with the intention to permanently deprive them of it. You know it's theirs, and you've made a decision to keep it. So it's a crime. That's interesting. I'm sure a lot of people don't equate picking up a lost wallet with larceny, but it is. Yeah, that's, uh, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Kelly, once again, you have (laughs) shed light on these things for us. Yeah. Thank you. 
Now, just as a practical matter, what would you do if you were in an airport? You know, it's a transitory place. You can't call somebody up and say, I have your wallet, I'll drive it over. What would you do then if you found a wallet? Well, you go straight to information, and I think we've all heard that announcement, you know, would so-and-so please return to gate 57, and, um, you know, which means, hey, meathead, you just left something on the plane, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I, I know someone really well, and that's happened to him before. Um, I think you go straight to information and, you know, again, in real time because people are moving fast. And, you know, the airport has these gates through which you cannot pass without your wallet. But mostly those are gates coming on the way in as opposed to on the way out. So straight to the information desk. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, I just flew this weekend and sitting in the airport, I can't tell you how many announcements there were for people who... Um, usually it was that they left something on the plane. Several cell phones, um, announcements about a cell phone, about different pieces of personal property. Um, I must have heard six or seven of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. We've all done that. Leave keys, folders. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we're all in agreement. You'd return the wallet or uh, take it to the information desk as soon as possible. Yeah, I think it becomes more complicated, if you don't mind me bringing this up, Marna, if there is no way to identify the person. And this is where I think it really becomes an ethical dilemma. So you walk out of a store and you find a wad of cash. You know, there's nothing else there, just just cash. What do you do? I, I think that's much more complicated. And, you know, when I researched that, even I was kind of like, I'm not sure what I would, how I would handle it after I did the research. So what, what do you guys think? If you found a wad of cash, mm-hmm. I'd still take it into the customer service counter and leave my number and, and name. And if nobody comes forward, uh, you know, give me a call. I'll come pick this up. And do you really think that they're going to call you? If nobody comes forward and give you back the cash. You know, you never know. Could be my lucky day. <laughs> but, what, what do you think, Mike? Um, I agree. I think you, you take it to whomever seems to be a figure of authority or responsible in that area and try to you know talk it over with them. Say, hey, I found this. What should I do? You give it to you. You want me to call the local police? Police is sometimes a good option because people will go there. So they may not know where they lost it. So it's not like they're going to go back to that store or back to that location. They may just be casting the net a whole lot wider. I think it's it's one of the features of our modern age that with all this connectivity and, and ways in which we can be found for good and bad, it is much easier now to find whoever owns that item. You know, it wasn't the case 30, 40 years ago. It just, we weren't that accessible. So I hope that's encouraged people to, you know, help others out because that's what it comes down to. It's about helping other people out. Yeah, but I was surprised when I did my research. You may just be helping somebody else take the money or, you know, helping it go to the government, which I'm not sure that that's the, you know, the best thing either. Um, I found an article, I was researching Virginia law and what your obligations are under Virginia law. And although the Virginia Attorney General's office said there was no specific state law guiding police as to what to do, There was an interesting article, very recent, about a young man who was walking out of a Home Depot in Hanover County, one of my favorite counties in Virginia, by the way, dropped something, looked down, and there was a wad of cash. It was over $1,000 in cash. Wow. Um, Yeah, and he was, I mean, just cash sitting there. 
He kind of thought for a second. He went back in to the desk at the Home Depot, left his name and information, and indicated he had found this money, and for them to give him a call if somebody came in and reported it missing. And he kept the money. But, you know, he went and communicated with them, which, as I'm reading the article, I thought, well, that's the right thing to do. His plan was, if nobody stepped forward, at least this is what he said, was that he was going to donate it to his church. You know, sounded very good. He said he was home for about three hours, and he heard um, from the Hanover County Sheriff's Office, I guess Home Depot contacted them, and they said they were coming by to get the cash, you know, that they would handle it. So he went ahead and, of course, cooperated with the police, gave them the cash. I guess the the deputy said um, they would keep the money, and they would decide how the funds were to be used if they couldn't find the owner. That's exactly what happened. Um... The guy that found the money that did the right thing, he was never going to see the money again. The sheriff's office did say that the money would go to a good cause if they didn't find the owner and that they were making every effort to find the rightful owner. Um, They used store surveillance footage, checked with area banks, but ultimately, if nobody stepped forward, it would either be sent in to the government for the Uniform Unclaimed Property Act or I also think that sheriff's departments can keep it as part of their own funding. They their never... own little cup and flower fund? Yeah, their... <laughs> well, the gentleman that found the money called it their slush fund. <laughs> uh, but the Hanover Sheriff's Office, which I know they're really a fine, top-notch organization, said that they would follow the Unclaimed Property Act and... You know, within a certain time period, if nobody claimed the cash, they would turn it into the state. But I kind of thought, wow, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Um, yeah, but, it'd be nice to have were, a finder's fee. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, but there were no legal implications for the guy who found it, right? No. Um, what do you mean, Mike? I mean, um, he wasn't held liable in any way for not having given it to the police in the first place. Oh, no, no, not at all. Okay. No, there okay. was no, you know, there were no repercussions, but I sort of felt like he did the right thing. He went and told the store manager, reported it, left his information, and I felt like if nobody stepped forward and said this cash belonged to them or contacted the store, that what would be wrong with him keeping the cash instead of it going to the government, which... Who the heck knows how it's going to be used? Right. It makes perfect sense to me. Well, how about if you're out in the parking lot of a store and you find $20? What are you going to do? Oh, Marna, you just keep layering these on. <laughs> Holy smokes. Surprise, I thought we surprise. put this one to bed. 20 you bucks. Know, what are you going to do? The, if it's the Christmas season, you turn right around and you go over to the Salvation Army guy and you put it in the bucket. Okay. I love it. Kelly? Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. If it's not the Christmas season, I think you walk around and <laughs> you don't see anybody. You're waving a 20. <laughs> yeah, and you, you ask, and then you just keep it. I mean, I don't know what else you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, otherwise you're kind of the chump because you go and give it to somebody, and it's very likely they're just going to keep it. Well, the reason um, I brought this up is because I ran across this article. It's on NPR.org, and it's a study about what dropping 17,000 wallets around the globe can teach us about honesty. And this is an article by Merritt Kennedy, June 20th, 2019. Researchers led by Alain Cohn from the University of Michigan dropped off more than 17,000 quote-unquote lost wallets in 40 countries over the course of more than two years to see if people who found them would report them to their owner. All the wallets were about the same, a case containing a few business cards, a grocery list, and a key. Some contained no money and some held the equivalent of about $13. 
Research assistants turned them in at the kinds of places people would typically bring a wallet they found on the ground, police stations, hotels, post offices, and theaters. As results rolled in from around the world, the researchers kept finding the same result. In 38 out of 40 countries, people were more likely to report receiving wallets with money than those without. What if the wallets contained far more money? Cohn says the results there were even more dramatic. The presence of money almost always increased the chances of them being turned in. The highest reporting rate was found in the condition where the wallet included $100. What's behind all this honesty? The researchers suggest two explanations. First, just basic altruism. The person who reports receiving a lost wallet might care about the feelings of the stranger who lost it. Caring about strangers doesn't explain everything, though. The researchers think their findings also have a lot to do with how people see themselves, and most people don't want to see themselves as a thief. Cohn says they pulled people who said that if there's cash in the wallet, it just feels more like stealing. The study shows in a very natural, experimental way our decisions about dishonesty are not about a rational cost-benefit analysis, but about what we feel comfortable with from a social norm perspective and how much we can rationalize our decisions. What our study suggests is that there might be a potential to promote honest behavior. First, by making the harm that your behavior can impose on other people more salient, Cohn says. I thought that was very interesting. And sometimes honesty does pay. Almost all of the people who reported a lost wallet, who turned their lost wallet in, got to keep the cash. So I think that's a very uplifting study to read about here in the Christmas season that around the world people will return lost wallets, especially if they contain money. Very, very encouraging. Like Mike said, it's a very personal thing. A wallet's a very personal thing, and that seems to affect people. I think it comes back to how you make people feel. So the difference in dollar amounts or money amounts, because they were all over the world, small amount of money, people didn't feel that connection with the person who'd lost it. But with a larger amount of money, significantly more, they really felt that connection. So it is very encouraging. Perhaps empathy is still alive. Yeah, I think that speaks to empathy very well. Stick with us. We'll be back after a short break with our second scenario. Welcome back to our second scenario on Finders Keepers, Losers Weepers. Imagine if you are in the middle of a big landscaping project involving heavy equipment in your backyard. One of the earth movers pulls up a metal box, which you at first think has something to do with electrical or cable systems. Then you see that it's actually a safe. Since it's kind of rusted, one of the crew members takes a pickaxe to it and breaks it open. Inside the safe are stacks of $100 bills diamonds, and jewelry, all total over $50,000 worth of stuff. Is it yours to keep? What do you do? What do you suggest, Kelly? No, you don't keep it. (laughs) You contact the police for sure. This is another example where I think the amount of money and what you're describing in there, you know, absolutely requires that you involve the police. It seems to me with those kinds of items, there's going to be a police report. There's going to be some kind of a trail that's going to lead you back to the owner or owners. So I think you, you have to do that, no doubt. Or you're back in, your, in the larceny situation. And not only would you meet all the elements, I think, of larceny, but there's petty larceny and grand larceny. And I think you're getting, you know, with that kind of amount of money, you're getting into a grand larceny category, which is quite serious. Mike, what do you think? You know, I think Kelly's right on the right on the mark there, although she 
once again, helped me better understand the law. It's kind of one of those things, you know, you, you read about this in books, you know, a kid finds a buried treasure. It's pretty spectacular, but at the end of the day, you know, you've got to try to figure out where that came from. It reminds me of some finds in England, which took place in the last couple decades where they they found incredible amounts of treasure buried not only coin and jewels but um, weapons those are the kinds of things that you know whether it's on uh, in, a, in your backyard in a rusted safe or a, a cache of ancient treasure somewhere yeah you really ought to tell somebody about it because it's uh, it's very significant and you know it goes back to one of the things i've brought up other times at the end of the day you got to live with yourself you got to respect yourself and i i don't think there are many among us i hope there aren't many among us who would feel good about keeping that that has a long-term corrosive effect on people when they don't respect themselves so i think that's the answer yeah that's true and jewelry is a very personal thing as well so I can see that reaching the empathy thing. So I was thinking about a different title for this episode. We could call it Finders, Keepers, Losers, Weepers. No, it's larceny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really agree with Mike, and we've talked about this on other episodes. Your actions really define who you are, especially when it comes to these difficult or challenging situations. And this is certainly one of them. You know, you want to be able to feel good about yourself, look yourself in the mirror. And as you said, Marna, Jewelry is so personal, often it belonged to somebody's mother, grandmother, grandfather, and it would just mean the world to them, I'm sure, to get back those things that are so precious um, and are really like family heirlooms, which I'm assuming something that's worth north of $50,000 yeah. is. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one one more thing I want to mention, I'm getting a little bit off topic, but it it relates more to our prior discussion I would encourage people to look at their state's um, Unclaimed Property Act. Every state has um, some type of Unclaimed Property Act, and generally it, it applies to bank accounts, stocks, bonds, dividends, financial instruments usually. It can also apply to these kinds of scenarios, as unusual as they are. I realized as I did my research um, for example, I think Hanover County was going to, after the time period uh, mandated by statute, which I think is three years, um, they were going to turn that money in to the state, to the Commonwealth, to the Unclaimed Property Act Division or Uniform Disposition of Unclaimed Property Division. So if you've lived in different states, go on their website and you know put your name in, check it out, because if you if your accounts are not active... Um, if they go dormant, the banks and different financial institutions are required to report that to the state, and the state will often then step in and take those stocks or take that account and hold it. So I would encourage you to do that. Or if you had an unusual situation where you lost cash or something, it may be worth checking as well. That's a great point, Kelly. Our situation, that's looking at it from you know the side of... Um your own stuff. My wife and I have, we've lost three parents in the last five years. And in each case, there were things that we didn't know about, you know, and they were accounts, they were whatever, you know, in my father's case, my father had all this, uh, he had all these silver half dollars tucked away and uh, we didn't know about them. And so I think not only do you need to manage your own stuff, but if you have elderly parents, I think it really helps them out to 
help them identify the stuff they have because in the case of our folks, you know, there were things that they'd forgotten about and they'd overlooked and it's, uh, and, you know, they were in some cases very significant and very personal. So, yeah. 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 And there's a way to do this on behalf of an estate um, or a decedent. You can, you can check because sometimes as people, you know, age, they may have a bank account or a stock here and there, and they just leave it dormant and inactive. They do nothing with it. Maybe they don't respond to emails or, and, and under, under state law, that state has to report to the treasury or whatever financial group runs the state. And often, you know, those assets end up in possession of the state. That actually happened in my family. After somebody died, somebody else in the family thought to look into that unclaimed property thing you talk about and found out there was $100 that belonged to the deceased that nobody knew about. So they were able to claim it on behalf of the estate, and then they just gave it to Catholic Relief Charities. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how quickly you know, they can do this. I learned, I learned myself. We lived in Texas for a very brief period of time, three years, and forget I own shares of this one stock that I left sitting and I recently got a note from you know a letter from some organization that told me that the stock was in possession of the state of Texas and for like a 10% finder's fee I just had to sign this paper and they would go get it for me and send me the money and I was like holy cow (laughs) I hope it was a nice windfall yeah, but I had no idea. I mean, and the requirements about responding to emails or, you know, just what qualifies as activity for some of these assets and accounts. I mean, boy, you got to be careful. So, Kelly, tell us again, what is the division or the office that a person would go look for that stuff? I would just, like in Virginia, the Act is the Uniform Disposition of Unclaimed Property Act. But if you just Google, you know, unclaimed property, Virginia, it'll come right up. You'll see the link. It'll say .org, and you'll be able to tell it's, it's the Commonwealth of Virginia. You could do the same thing for Texas or, you know, unclaimed property. And usually not only is there a website you can go to, but there's an 800 number, so you can call for assistance. Great information for our listeners. Thanks for sharing that, Kelly. So back to our safe question. I actually pulled that scenario from the headlines. I read this on CNN, May 17th, 2018. Matthew and Maria Colonna Emanuel in Staten Island thought a piece of rusty metal behind some trees in their backyard was just a part of cable or electrical box. They never paid much attention to it. When trees in their yard were damaged by wildlife, they got a better view. The box was really prominent when the deer ate away all the foliage, Matthew said. After digging it up, they realized it was a rusty old safe. Inside, they found hundreds of dollar bills, jewelry, diamonds, engagement rings, dozens of rings, gold with jade. It was stunning, said Matthew. There was also a piece of paper with an address, which they googled. It turned out to be a building in Brooklyn, which they further researched was owned by an elderly couple in their own neighborhood. So they went to the door of the neighbors and asked them if they'd ever been robbed, and they said they were robbed in 2011. The only thing taken was a safe. The cops had told them at the time, you'll never see your stuff again, but eight years later, they did. Matthew said their neighbor was shaking when he told her they had found her safe. When asked why they didn't keep the loot for themselves, Maria said it wasn't even a question. It wasn't ours. The reward is karma. Good karma, added Matthew. Isn't that sweet? 
You know, that's lovely. That's really lovely. It and it turns your heart. out this, yeah, it does warm your heart. Turns out the safe had been stolen by somebody they called a ninja burglar who had had a series of break-ins and thefts. Almost $4 million worth of stuff, I think they said. Wow. Wow. Did they catch the ninja? <laughs> they did catch the ninja. The ninja's in jail. <laughs> wow. He didn't get very far. It must have been really heavy. Yeah. Well, he when he pulled it out of the wall, it set off the alarm. So he took oh. off with the safe, but the, it was 80 to 100 pounds. Oh, geez. So, yeah. He, yeah, he didn't get very far, and he threw it in the... We would have thought somebody would have looked for it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Golly. <laughs> yeah, so, right, A, uh, if there's a strange metal box in your backyard, go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Golly, hope it doesn't for snow sure. too much today. I'm going to go out there and start digging around, you know? Go walk the perimeter. That's where those That's metal right. detectors come in. <laughs> right. Those metal detectors looking for stuff. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. We're at the end notes portion of our show. This is the part of the show where we like to leave you with something to think about for the coming week. Mike, you have something you said you wanted to leave with the readers. Listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Hello, <laughs> listeners. You know, I, if those of you who are listening carefully may remember I talked about some guy I know who has left things on airplanes and keeps getting called back to gates. Same guy. I know him really well. <laughs> You know, when I was young, I had this bad habit. It happened twice, in fact, probably before I was 23. And I would leave. Somehow, I didn't manage to get my wallet into my pants pocket, and I would leave it on top of the car. I don't know why I did that. But I drove away from two wallets, and I never saw them again. Of course, that was back in the day when it was really hard to, you know, find somebody, and I didn't leave a lot of identifying information in my wallet. But first episode today really struck deep. And so all you people out there, keep returning those wallets, you know, because uh, I've just been down that path of replacing all that stuff too many times. So, yeah. All right. I hope everybody feels my pain now. I, too, have left a wallet on the top of the car, Mike, so I feel your pain. Oh, you're kidding me. So I'm <laughs> no. not the only... Wait, were we talking about me? Hold on. <laughs> I don't think I... Did I let that out? <laughs> and guess what? Some kind soul found the wallet on the side of the road and called me and returned it all. Oh, you're so wow. lucky. Man. Yeah, that's, that's great. There really are. I mean, this is a very encouraging, I think, episode because there are so many honest folks yeah. that, you know, really not only do the right thing, but it takes time and effort to track somebody down. And I had an experience where we had paid a service provider, gave her a check, and I don't know, three weeks later, I get this envelope in the mail, and I'm kind of like, what is it? I open it, and, you know, somebody's put a little post-it note and said, you know, I found this in the, you know, giant grocery store in, you know, Ridley, PA or something. It was the check that we had written to this provider. Um, she must have just dropped it in the grocery store. You know, all our account information's on it, but our name and address is on it. And somebody took the time to write a note, put it in an envelope and mail it to us. There nice. really are a lot of good folks out there. It's great to hear that kind of good news. Especially around Christmas. Yeah, no, that's good. That's wonderful. What about you? Do you have a Finders Keepers incident to share or a question about today's episode? Leave us a comment or a voicemail. You can do both at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. If you want to support what we're doing, please recommend our podcast to your friends and family. For Kelly Halligan Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, 
I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us this week, and please join us again next week for a year-end wrap-up show. See you then.